Welcome to the I Am Persuaded podcast with Travis Shelton. Our desire is to provide weekly encouragement and biblical truths so that you too can be persuaded that He is able. Thanks for joining us on this episode. Now, let's hear what Pastor Travis has to say. Welcome to I Am Persuaded, and thank you so much for tuning into this episode. We've been journeying through the Psalms together slowly, and we've worked our way to Psalm chapter 6. And so I'm looking forward to this psalm. This psalm has blessed my heart and actually it blessed me so much that the last time I had the opportunity to preach at my home church at Beulah, I preached on Psalm chapter 6. And so this episode will be recorded a little bit differently. Instead of it being the normal podcast format, it's going to be a live sermon. And so I preached it a couple Sunday nights ago and I have the audio of that. So I'm going to play that here on this podcast episode. So I hope you'll take your Bible, or if you're riding down the road or working out or whatever it is, you'll just take time to listen because Psalm chapter 6 has really blessed my heart. The way David gets real and authentic with God, there's great implication there for us and there's great truth there for us in our moment of despair. With that being said, here's the recording from Psalm chapter 6. Psalm chapter 6 in your Bibles, Psalm chapter 6. We're going through Pastor Started last week. On Sunday night, going through the Psalms, just picking our favorite Psalms. And when he asked me to do this, I had a Psalm in mind for the whole time. And I was thinking I was going to be in Psalm 32. And then this week, I've been reading through Psalms, and I got to Psalm 6. And it just spoke to me. And so I wouldn't have, if this week you would have asked me, what's your favorite Psalm? Psalm 6 wouldn't have made the list. But now this week, Psalm 6 has spoken to me in a new way. And so I pray the Lord will convey the truths he conveyed to me already this week in my quiet time to us tonight here at church. So Psalm 6, we'll read just a few verses of Scripture. We'll really cover the whole chapter tonight, but we won't read them for the sake of time in the beginning. But Psalm 6, look at verse number 1. O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak, O Lord. Heal me, for my bones are vexed. My soul is also sore vexed, but thou, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver my soul. O save me for thy mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of thee. In the grave who shall give thee thanks? I am weary with my groanings all the night. Make my, make my bed to swim and I water my couch with my tears. I want to preach on this thought, simple, simple phrase, how long? Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you tonight just for your mercy, Jesus. We thank you for your goodness. Lord, we're grateful that we have the ability to come together tonight and worship and fellowship over your word tonight, Jesus. So as we open your word and expound upon a few verses in Psalm chapter 6, I pray you would convey the truths, Jesus, that you've worked in my own personal heart this week here tonight, Lord. I pray you would speak to us clearly. I pray you could discern these truths tonight so that we can leave closer to you, praising you because, Jesus, you are the only one that's worthy of our praise and our adoration. In your name we do pray, Jesus. Amen. There's a lot of scenarios of life when you'll ask the question, how long? If you've been around me enough time, you know one place that I frequently visit is the dentist. I didn't see Dr. Powers back there. No, there he is. But I am a frequent visitor of the dentist. So I've been to Ashborough, I've been to Raleigh, to specialty dentist. I've seen a periodontist, an endodontist, an orthodontist, a dentist, a general dentist. The whole nine yards, I've been to the dentist. And one question I typically have, especially if I'm getting some work done that's more extensive than your average filling, is how long? Because I go in there and they always bring out that blood pressure cuff and my nerves are already through the roof because here comes a needle, one of my phobias. Here comes a drill. I hate the sound. Here comes the man leaning over me for hours on end it seems like. They say no pain but there's pain. My blood pressure's through the roof and I'm constantly saying how long? 
because he's got his hands in my mouth and I can't talk. He'll still give me an update. 10% done. 20% done. 70% done. I'm praising the Lord. We're about there. And then he's always, raise your left hand if you feel pain. So I'm over here shouting it down, trying to, because I'm hurting. And he's like, we're about done. 90%. You don't need another shot for 90%. But a question I often ask, how long? You know, I was thinking this week, airlines have frequent flyer miles. The dentist should adopt for me frequent drilling miles because I'm there so much. I should get like free dental work because I sit in the chair so much throughout the year. But I ask how long? There's scenarios of our life when we come to these issues of life and we say the question, how long is this going to last? Could be something as simple as getting drilled on at the dentist. Could be a situation you're walking through in your personal life. But you come to this situation and no matter how long it lasts, you find yourself asking the question, how long Will I be in this scenario of my life? David asked the question. Look at verse 3. My soul is also sore vexed, but thou, O Lord, how long? And so if you read through the Psalms, something I love about the Psalms and why I'm excited about this on Sunday nights is you find a realness with the Psalms. You find the writer, most of the time David or some other psalmist, writing, but they get very personal and very real with God as they pour out their heart to him. It seems like they hold nothing back. It seems like whatever they're feeling, they will pin down. Whatever's going on circumstance-wise in their life, they will jot it down as they are pinning this music to God, a prayer to God, to communicate with God through their personal prayer life a lot of times down through these psalms. And so David writing Psalm 6, the exact context is not explicitly said, but given the context of chapter 3, 4, and 5, many would attribute David writing Psalm 6 in one of two scenarios. It could be when he sinned with Bathsheba, he sent for her husband to be killed in battle, and then he ran from God for so long refusing to repent. And it could be in this context he's writing Psalm 6, or it could be sharing context with Psalm 3, 4, and 5. He's running from his son Absalom in his older years. David has been exiled. Absalom is seeking to kill him, remove him from the throne, and overthrow him technically. And so Absalom and his army and the people are chasing after him. And David is alone. David's by himself. David is fearful. David is scared. David is frightened by what seems to be coming toward him in his personal life. David pins Psalm 3, a morning psalm. He pins Psalm 4 as he's about to go to sleep and he gets a good night's rest as he communicates with God through writing. Psalm 5, another morning psalm. Psalm 6 is an evening psalm. You'll see him down in the chapter. He's writing. He's been crying all night. His couch is wet with tears as he's been pouring out literally his heart and grief to God. And so with that context in mind, David is walking through a situation in his life where he's felt for some time that God has not been listening to him. Where he's felt for some time, how long is this silent period going to last? How long is this circumstance, if it is Absalom, how long am I going to run from these enemies? How long am I going to hide out in these caves? How long am I going to run for my life? If it is the sin, how long is God's hand of conviction going to be upon me? How long? And so Psalm 6 is one of seven psalms that you attribute God's discipline and God's correction to is Psalm 6, Psalm 32, Psalm 51. There's seven of these psalms where the writer is being disciplined by God, and most of the time you find repentance in these psalms. Psalm 6, you don't necessarily find David repenting, but you find him begging God not to give him his anger. And so my question tonight and my thought was, when I was just reading this psalm this week, I prayed a lot of this psalm this week. So it's just a good psalm to pray. 
Praying scripture is a good habit that we should get into, and praying verses 1 and 2 and all the way through this psalm just gave me such relief as I was just working through Psalm 6 this week. So he says in verse 1, O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. It says in verse 2, Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. How many times in your life, and honestly, if you look back at the past couple of years in our community, there's been a lot of families who have walked through a lot of great grief. This year at our church, we've had more funerals than I can remember. And I mean, I've, I've went to church here my whole life, and I've, there's been a lot of funerals in our community this year. There's been a lot of grief. There's been a lot of loss. There's been a lot of sorrow. There's been a lot of sickness. There's been a lot of heartache. There's been a lot of burdens. And maybe you found yourself at some point during all of this asking the Lord, how long? How long will this last? How long will I endure this? How long will this happen to me and my family? How long will this circumstance go on in my personal life? And so with that being said, four truths tonight, four prayers really from Psalm chapter 6 that I believe if we pray, we can find help from in our season of waiting. Number one, we see a prayer for correction. A prayer for correction, verse 1. O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Now, when we come to this psalm, we understand David is either running from his enemy and he's fearing for his life or God's hand of conviction is upon him. So he feels like God's not listening. He feels like God's not there. He feels like he is alone and he's asking this question. Is the circumstance that I'm in a result of my sin? A good question to ask. Is the circumstance that I'm in a result of my sin and lack of confession? So he says, God, don't rebuke me in your anger. Do not chasten me in thy hot displeasure. And so David, if you study the life of David, you find David experiencing a lot of highs in his spiritual journey. And if you think back over the life of David, he's the young man that killed Goliath with a few stones and a slingshot. He's the man that was appointed and anointed king at a very young age. David had a lot of spiritual highs, and he was a man that Scripture says was after God's own heart. So David had a lot of spiritual highs in his spiritual journey. But also David knew what it was like to be under the hand of conviction from God. He messed up with Bathsheba on his rooftop. He saw her. He lusted he, after her. He went. He had an affair with her. And then he sent for her husband to be killed in battle. He sinned. He refused to repent. David, another time in his life, he numbered the people of Israel. When God clearly said, it's not about the numbers, do not number the people of Israel. David did. David did not seek reconciliation with Absalom when he had opportunity. And so David knew what it was like to run from God, to be under the heavy hand of God, and for God to be punishing him for his failures and for his sins in his personal life. So David knew both ends of the spectrum. And so for David to write this in verse 1, Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger. Chasten me neither in thy hot displeasure. It tells us something about David. Now I believe the, the interpretation here is very simple. He's not telling God, do not correct me. He's just saying, do not correct me in your anger. He's not saying, I don't want to feel your rebuke, God. I realize I've messed up a lot in my life. So I'm not saying, do not rebuke me, do not correct me, do not chasten me. What I'm saying is, do not do it in your anger and in your hot displeasure. So God, I'm fine with your rebuking. God, I'm fine with you chastening me. Because God, through that, I can learn. God, through that, I can grow. God, through that, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. So God, I'm not saying, do not rebuke me and do not chasten me. I'm just asking you in my petition, do not do it in anger and wrath. Notice what he said. 
Have mercy upon me, O Lord. So it goes from God, do not act in anger. Do not act in hot displeasure to God. Have mercy upon me, a sinner. God, I need you. And so, what about our life? David's undoubtedly asking the question, is there some sin in my life that's put me in this situation? And that's a fair question to ask. But if in our life, we can always think back, because we are sinful mankind, we can think back to a time and a place in our life where we failed God, and maybe in our minds, Satan can put it in there, well, this is while we're going through what we are. Some, there are some cases that is. James 5 speaks of that. And so there are some situations in our life when we are feeling God's consequences. Psalm 32, David felt it very heavily because he refused to repent. So there are some cir circumstances in our life where what we're going through is a direct result, a consequence of the sin that we have committed. David, we witnessed that in his life. We see that throughout Scripture. But also there are times in our life when God will chasten us, not because we've necessarily sinned, but to grow us and to push us forward. Do you read Hebrews 12? The word there is chasten in the English in our King James Bible. You go to Ephesians when the Bible says, raise your kids in the nurture of the Lord. The same word for nurture and the same word for chasten in Hebrews chapter 12, it's the same word. And so it's not saying, hey, God's going to correct me in his anger and his hot displeasure, but what he's going to do at times in my life is take me through a circumstance, take me through a trial, take me through a situation where he can grow me, he can work on me for what's to come in the future. You've seen it with the disciples. He put them on a boat to send them to the other side of the, of the Sea of Galilee, knowing full and well they were going to encounter a storm. He knew it. So God could have said, don't get on the boat, there's a storm coming. But he put them on the boat to send them through the storm because he wanted to grow them in their personal growth. Sometimes in our life, when we're asking the question, how long? This is hot, this is heavy. I've been a year in this situation, a month in this situation. How long? Sometimes God is taking us through these circumstances of life, not to punish us, but to grow us. Not to pour out his hot displeasure on us, but to push us forward for what is to come in the future. And I find great comfort in Romans. The Bible says, Romans, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so when we are on the direct, under God's hand of conviction, he's not pouring out anger on us. He's simply correcting us because he loves us. That's Hebrews 12. The word there for chasten, it's a loving father who corrects, not a father who flies off the handle and gets angry at us. His anger was satisfied on the cross when he poured it all out on Jesus. As Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, he was made sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus took the wrath and the anger of God so that we don't have to. If we accept Jesus as Savior and Lord, he corrects us, absolutely. He's not a loving father who lets us live in sin. He corrects, but he corrects lovingly as a loving father, Hebrews 12 indicates to us. So, a prayer for correction. There are times in our life when we need to say, Lord, whatever I'm going through, here's my prayer. Correct me if I'm wrong. Convict me if it need be. But Lord, grow me through this. Lord, whatever you're taking me through, I want you to grow me. I want you to use me. I want this to be a testimony for me so, Jesus, you can get the glory out of every situation in my life. So, number one, a prayer for correction. Number two, and I love this. This is probably my favorite one. A prayer just of realness. A prayer for realness. Look at verse two and three. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, 
for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. My soul is also sore vexed, but thou, O Lord, how long? Verse 4, return, O Lord, deliver my soul. O save me for thy mercy's sake. So I don't know, if you watch TV, you've probably seen this commercial. It's driving me crazy. It's an insurance commercial. They always have the wildest ones. I don't know if it's Farm Bureau or State Farm or whatever it is, but it's called a new personal plan. And so if you've seen it, they get this guy sitting on a couch and he'll give the insurance agent some really wild personal story from when he was a child or something he grew up with. When I was three years old, I witnessed this and now I have a phobia of escalators or whatever it is. And the guy's like, man, man, to get the personal quote, you don't have to be that personal with us. The psalmist is extremely personal with God. He's real with God. A lot of times in our circumstances, and you know this to be true, you've opened up and you've been real with someone in your life. You've shared your greatest burden. You've shared your greatest heartache. You've shared your greatest prayer request. You've shared the thing that hurts you the most, and that person betrayed you. There's a time in your life, I, I've, I mean, I'm 25 and I've been there where I've shared something with someone that I wouldn't share with many people, and then I got betrayed because that person went back to someone else and said, hey, look, look, listen to this. And so I know what it feels like. David knows what it feels like. You read these chapters, he's betrayed, Psalm 3, 4, and 5. He's betrayed. He understands that his son is out to get him. His son is out to kill him, one who he, who he loved. And he's betrayed. There's been a time in our life where we got real with someone and they, they hurt us. Maybe the thing you're going through right now, whatever it is you've walked through this past year, these past couple of years, and you've shared it with absolutely no one. You've been fighting it in your mind. You've been fighting it personally, maybe with your wife, maybe with your husband, your immediate family, but you've not shared it with anyone. And what I love, I said earlier, what I love about the Psalms is they were just so real with God. If they were feeling something, they would write it down. David would pin it down. If he was hurting in some area, he would write it down. If he was troubled in some way, he would write it down. David was not afraid to get real and personal with God. So look at it. Verse 3, my soul is sore vexed, but thou, O Lord, how long? Verse 2, have mercy upon me, O Lord. Look at this. For I am weak, O Lord. Heal me. For my bones are vexed. So David's undoubtedly going through some physical pain. He's going through emotional pain. He's going through spiritual pain, what these verses allude to. And he calls himself and says, God, listen, I need your mercy. I am weak. What's going on in my life? If it continues this way, I will not survive. God, I'm physically, I'm emotionally, I'm spiritually, I'm weak. He was real with God. He was open with God. Then you look on in the verse, look how many times he says, O Lord, or he uses the word Lord in all capitals. All throughout these 10 verses, he says in verse 1, O Lord, verse 2, O Lord, verse 2 again, O Lord, verse 3, O Lord, verse 4, O Lord. And so he is calling out to God in his moment of, of unrest, his moment of being troubled. He is calling out to the Lord, O Lord, I'm weak. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Oh, Lord, don't chasten me in hot displeasure. Oh, Lord, do not correct me in your anger. He's calling out to God because that's the only person he has. He's alone. He's by himself. But he understands, I have my, if it's a scroll he's writing this down on, and I have my relationship with God, and I'm going to pin exactly how I am feeling to God in this moment. So, God, I'm weak. When's the last time we just got real with God? 
God, here's the circumstance. God, here's how I feel. God, I'm troubled. God, this is going on in my family. God, this is going on in my work life. God, this is going on in my children's life. God, this is going on in my husband's life. God, this is going on in my personal life. God, I'm telling you the truth. I'm weak. I feel like I can't take one more step. I was reading one guy this week on Psalm 6, and he said, there's those mornings everyone has where they feel like they can't get out of bed. They feel like they can't get in the car and go to work. They feel like they can't or you can't go to sleep at night. That's David in Psalm 6, Psalm 4. feels like he can't sleep. We all walk through these valleys. And we find ourselves like David in verse 3. It's been a month. It's been two months. God, how long, how long, how long is this going to last? And maybe God, listen, he's a friend, the New Testament says, that sticks closer than a brother. First Peter says we're to cast all our care upon him because he cares for you. And so he's a God that wants to feel and know what you're going through. Hebrews says he feels the feelings of your infirmity. So the Bible's very clear. He understands and he knows what you're going through. So why not tell him how you feel anyways? Why not tell him the circumstance that you're walking through? Why not like David in Psalm 6? Oh Lord, here it is. Oh God, here's my prayer. Oh God, here's what I'm feeling. Look at verse number, look at verse number 7. Mine eye is consumed because of grief. It waxed old because of all mine enemies. And so what he's saying here, verse 6 says it also, I'm weary with groaning all the night, make my bed to swim. I'll water my couch with my tears. So what's David doing at night? He's crying his eyes out. He, maybe you don't even have words to say. And I love Brother Kelly at the prayer breakfast. He gave his, that devotion that morning on sometimes tears are the language that God speaks in our prayer. And Romans 8 teaches us, Romans teaches us that the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. And when we don't have the words to pray, the Spirit prays those words for us. The will of God. Not our own selfish desires, but God's will for us. He takes that request to God the Father. That's one of the Spirit's duties in our life. And so here's David just getting real and vulnerable with God. And sometimes that's just what we need to do. God, here's my heart. God's not afraid of our questions. God's not afraid of our fears. He's over all of it. The earth is his footstool. So God, here it is. This summer, uh, when Christiana was sick, and a lot of you have prayed for us, and we appreciate that greatly, I was, I'm the stressor in our family. She's calm as a cucumber. I mean, they're throwing wild words out. She's getting blood drawn every week of her life, and I'm sitting there, and I'm the one about passing out while she's getting 14 vials of blood drawn. I'm a nervous wreck. And so I started doing something that I'd never done before. I started a prayer journal. And in that prayer journal... I would just write down, literally like the Psalms, here's what I'm feeling today, and here's my prayer for Christiana in this situation. And I was amazed at how when I got open, and, and I had prayed about it, but when I put it to paper, and I got open and real with God, I could go back a week later and put an answer to prayer to what I prayed a week ago. One night we were praying, it was a Wednesday night, and I said, Lord, she needs an MRI. They said it would be three weeks. I said, God, give us an MRI this week. And I put how we were feeling. The next morning we got a call. She had an MRI at 10 o'clock that morning. So we put, a, I put an answer to prayer to it. That was all throughout it. And so I can look back at that journal now and see how I was feeling through all of that and see how God was so good through every bit of it. But I was real with him. And there were people I couldn't be real with in my personal life. But God, and she, the verse she claimed through all of it was that he feels the feelings of our infirmities. So he knew what she was going through when nobody else knew what she was going through. And so we'd pin that down. I just got real with God. 
When's the last time, listen, I'm speaking from experience on that. When's the last time, instead of just saying, God, help me, you got real with God? I'm not saying you got to write it down like I did. I'm not saying you have to do exactly like that. But when's the last time you said, God, I'm weak. God, I'm frail. God, I'm sinful. God, I'm, I'm hurting. God, look at what he said, verse 2. I'm weak, oh Lord, heal me. For my bones are vexed, my soul is sore vexed. But thou, O Lord, how long? Verse 4, return, O Lord, deliver my soul. Save me for thy mercy's sake. When's the last time? I said, God, I need you. God, I need you in this situation. God, my children are astray. I need you. I need you. I need you. So number two, a prayer for realness. Number three, a prayer for worship. Now, verse 5 it's a verse that a lot of commentators will just skip over. And honestly, when I read it the first time, I was like, what is this saying? Verse 5, look at it. For in death there is no remembrance of thee. In the grave, who shall give thee thanks? And so it's a verse that at first glance sounds like, what is David saying? Does he not understand what is to come in the future? And so there are two main school of thoughts on what David's saying. Number one is he just did not have a full revelation of what is to come in the future. I don't necessarily believe that because you see David writing in other places of what is to come in the future. So the second one is David is basically saying this, God, if I die, I cannot give you praise when you deliver me. God, if I do not make it out of this circumstance alive, how will you get glory? Because God, I've been in this for so long. Verse 3, I've been in this for so long. God, you can get maximum praise and glory if I'm delivered from this. That's what he says in like verse 5. For in death there's no remembrance of thee. In the grave who shall give thee thanks? So he's saying if this kills me, if this does me in, if, I, if I'm ended with this circumstance and with this trial, God, there's a lot of praise that can be given to your name. And so we know it's got to be that because the New Testament says for us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We understand once we face death, we go to heaven with Jesus forever. And so David is saying, if this circumstance takes me out, if this circumstance rids me off the face of the earth, God, there's a lot of glory I can give you. I can point people to you. So here's what he's saying. God, I understand something. I understand that you, in my circumstance, in my situation, God, you alone deserve the glory. You deserve the glory when I'm delivered. You deserve the glory while I'm in it. You read through the Psalms, David. I mean, you read Psalm 3, 4, and 5. When David is in these situations of life, he's so stressed out. But as you read through the Psalm, once he gets to praise, you can almost feel the weight lift off of him. Because David understood something. Praise might not change the surroundings of your circumstance, but it surely changed him in his circumstance. And so David, he says, God, if this, if this ends me, I can't give you the praise. And here's something we all know as believers in Jesus. Every single day of our life, Jesus deserves praise. We have a word for the year every year at youth group. This year it's the word glory. Romans eleven thirty six: of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. The Bible calls us as believers to give Jesus every ounce of glory, praise, adoration, and worship that we have. We understand that. So a lot of times, and I'm guilty of this as well, a lot of times we are so quick to share the prayer request, but we're so slow to share the praise. When we get delivered, when we see God work in a mighty way, we attribute it to something else. We give something else praise, someone else praise, something else praise. When really God has worked in our life so strategically that even on our worst of days, he still deserves all of our glory. Even when we cannot physically feel like we can take one more step in front of the other, he still deserves maximum praise and glory out of our life. 
And David understood this large circumstance that he's living in. If I get delivered from this, God, you're going to get so much praise, so much glory out of it. But even in the circumstance, you read through the Psalms, David still praised God. There's something about being able to say in your circumstance, Jesus, thank you. Jesus, you are worthy. We talked about Sunday school this morning, remembering the goodness of God. That even in trials of life or whatever it is that's going on, God has still been good to us. God has still been extremely, immensely faithful to us. So why would we ever, and how dare uh, how dare me, go through something and fail to give him the praise? Fail to give him the worship that he alone is due. And the praise, I said it, it might not change what's going on around you. But man, like Peter when he's walking on water, if he's just focused on Jesus, the storm doesn't matter that much. That's true for us. If we're focused on Jesus, the sickness doesn't matter that much. The pain doesn't feel as bad. The heartache isn't as tough. Why? Because we're focused on Jesus. Because we're laser-in on Jesus. He is worthy, church, of every ounce of praise, glory, and adoration that we have. Because even on our worst of day, we don't deserve the goodness of God. If God, we was talking about this in one of the D groups this week, if God is, would, would have been just, I think it was our Thursday night group, if God was just toward us, we'd be in hell. And so even how, what, what's going on right now, God's still merciful to us. See, verse 2, God be merciful. She read the verse earlier, Lamentations, his mercy is new every single morning. So the next breath that you breathe, it's of the mercy of God. He's so extremely good to us. We, he deserves alone every ounce of praise that we have in our life. So number three, a prayer for worship. Number four, and we're done, a prayer for assurance. Now listen to how David ends this psalm. Look at verse number eight. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord hath heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all mine enemies be ashamed and sore vexed. Let them return and be ashamed suddenly. Look at verse 9 again. The Lord hath heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. So David, you read through the Psalms. David, he'll often start a psalm off, God, listen. God, give me your ear, Psalm 61. God, hearken your ear, give me your ear, incline your ear to me. God, come in close and listen to what I have to say. David found great comfort in just the assurance that God was listening to him. David found great joy in understanding that God was near to him even when he felt long, more lonely than he's ever felt in his entire life. As long as he knew God was listening to his prayer, David felt comfort. So verse 8, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. Verses 6 and 7, I mean, he's crying out to God. Now he says, God heard that. Then verse 9, he says, he heard my supplication. He will receive my prayer. So some commentators say between verses 7 and 8, David fell asleep. And he woke up the next morning and he felt better. I don't know that there's no Bible to prove that. But whatever happened, you can feel his tension relieve as he gets to verse 8. He's crying all night on his couch. His tears are so much that they're soaking into his bed. And then he says, you know what? God heard my prayer. God's listening to me. 
God will, claim, God will receive my prayer. He heard my supplications in verse 1 and 2. He heard my prayer. David found such assurance that God was listening to him. Friend, in the situations of life, in the circumstances of life, it can feel so lonely. It can feel like no one's there. It can feel like no one's listening. To feel like you have no one, you have no friend, whatever it is. But take great assurance that if you have confessed your sins to God, he's listening and he's hearing and he's receiving your prayers. The Bible says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, where we can obtain mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need. So the scripture's clear, because of Jesus, nothing else, because of Jesus, his death and his sacrifice on the cross. He was the mediator between man and between God. He was the one that rebuilt the bridge that sin destroyed in Genesis chapter 3. So because of Jesus... You and I now have direct 24-7 access to God the Father. We just say, Lord. Oh, Lord, as David said in this psalm. Oh, Lord. And he's listening to us if we've confessed our sins. Oh, Lord. He's hearing our prayer. He's hearing our supplication. He's receiving our prayer. And so we as believers in Jesus understand the truth that Jesus is listening. But let that assure us that he's got us. That he's near to us. He's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Matthew 28 says, Lo, I'm with you always. He says another part in the New Testament. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. So be assured that in your relationship with Jesus, if you know Jesus as Savior, he's close, he's near, he's feeling the feelings of your infirmities, and he's hearing your prayer. Now, he might not change your circumstance. I doubt David's circumstance from verse 1 to verse 8 got changed. But David's perspective obviously changed. David was looking at everything around him like, man, this is the worst case scenario that I found myself in. But verse 8, hey, God heard my prayer. God heard my supplication. God received my prayer. So therefore, his perspective on what was happening, it was altered. I doubt it, sir. It could, his circumstance could have changed quickly, but I believe more so his perspective on the circumstance changed and God will do that if we come to him say God if this is a direct result of my sin I confess God if you're trying to correct me in this situation I accept it God rebuke me not in your anger but rebuke me and correct me how you need to grow me God I'm real with you here's what I'm feeling here's what's going on in my life then say God I need you you deserve the glory you deserve the praise help me change maybe not the circumstance but change my perspective. It's amazing how when God intervenes in our situation, though it might not change, how we view everything does change. So that alters now our attitude, our mind, our thought process, our scripture reading. As we come to him and seek a word, he speaks to us because our perspective on everything has changed. I read, I believe it was Wearsby this week, he said, sickness, grief, loss, sorrow, troubleness, whatever it is you're going through, it can do one of two things. It can make you bitter or it can make you better. It can make you bitter or it can make you better. And so if we are assured as believers in Jesus that we've confessed up, we've given him all of our sins, we've asked for forgiveness, we have the assurance, the assurance that when we pray, he's listening to us. And that, friend, should be enough that if there's been betrayal, there's been heartache, there's been whatever it is, God's right there with you. God's got you. He's walking through it with you. I'm in with this story and Britain would come my grandpa, I've told you about him before. This is the grandpa on my mom's side. So you, you all know Thurman. But he was 
a, a rough fella in his early years, and he was in the Vietnam War. He came on me at PTSD. He was an alcoholic, uh, and I didn't know him like this, but when I was born, he had had a stroke, and the stroke had paralyzed him on his, I think it was his left side of his body, so all, the whole time I knew him, I called him Pap. He never walked, and he, had a, he spoke with a slur, and so I would talk to him, but the grandpa that I knew would sing gospel songs, would share his testimony, would, he read his Bible in front of me. Every time I was over there, I had his Bible right beside him. He was reading it. He was watching sermons, listening to sermons, listening to the Bible on tape. He loved Jesus. So I got to talk. Then I would hear the stories of how he used to be through all of his circumstances. And I would look at him and I would think, so if he was that bitter before his stroke, I'm thinking as a kid in my mindset, why would he not be more angry after his stroke? Because he used to could walk. And now he's paralyzed on his whole left side of his body. So I would ask myself that, why? Why is he so happy as he's paralyzed? And he died when I was probably five or six. So I had these questions. And I would talk to my grandma about it, and she would just share his testimony. After his stroke, God broke him. God completely revealed himself to him, and my grandpa placed his faith in Jesus after his stroke. And he would testify, the stroke was the greatest blessing in his life. Because before that stroke, he was on his way to hell. And so he allowed that stroke not to make him bitter, but to make him better, as he was assured that he now had a newfound relationship with Jesus Christ. And though, man, they had a lot of struggles after that stroke, my grandma probably was the greatest one to point me to Jesus in my entire life. She was a light for Jesus, and she would just say, hey, Jesus is with us. Jesus is near to us. Jesus is close to us. He's hearing our prayers. And she would get real with God through tears. She would get real with God. And God will reveal himself to them. And I witnessed that as a five-year-old, how good God was to them. And truth is, we all walk through those various situations that have the opportunity to make us bitter or better. What's your outlook? I promise you, God might not change your circumstance in the, in the immediate, but he can change your perspective. If you're assured that he's listening, if you're giving him the proper glory, if you're real with him, and you're asking him for correction and growth through it all. Let's stand, heads bowed, and eyes closed. I just ask you tonight, get real with God. I don't know. I hope Psalm 6 has been a blessing like it was to me this week. So if not for anyone else, Psalm 6 spoke to me this week greatly. So I'd ask you, whatever you're walking through, whatever valley you're up against, maybe it's not even your personal life, but you know someone else who's going through something that they feel like, how long is this going to last? Just get vulnerable with God. When is the last time in a prayer journal, in your personal prayer life at home, in your car riding to work, you just let the tears flow and you got real and open with God? See, plays, the altar's open. You can do business with God there in your seat. I'm going to pray and I'm going to turn the service over to Pastor. But you just get open with God on the altar there in your seat. You just give it to Him. Give it to Him. Lord, we love you. Thank you, Jesus, for the ability that we have just to know you, to love you, and to serve you. Jesus, you alone are deserving of every ounce of glory that we have. Lord, thank you for the correction that's come in our life. Thank you for your chastisement to grow us and to correct us when we're wrong. But Lord, thank you for acting as a loving father. Because you desire what's best for us in our spiritual growth. Lord, thank you that you are a friend that sticks closer than a brother, one that we can get real with one that we can be vulnerable with, 
Lord, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for hearing our supplications. Thank you for your throne of grace that we have access to come boldly to. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice on the cross that makes all this possible. And Jesus, never let us walk through something or come out of something without giving you the proper praise. We love you, Jesus. In your name we do pray. Well, I truly pray that Psalm 6 was an encouragement to you as much as it has been to me. And so thank you for taking the time to listen to it. And Psalm 6 has great truth for you and I, no matter where we are in our walk with Jesus. If you're in despair, if you're in heartache, if you're in sin, no matter where you are walking right now with Jesus, there's truth for you in Psalm chapter 6. And so I pray that what you've taken away can help you grow closer to Jesus. It can help you share the gospel and it can help you just rest assured in your relationship with him that he's near and that he's listening to you. And also I pray that in your despair, in your heartache, whatever's going on, you just have the understanding that you can get real with God and he's not afraid of your heartache. He's not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of what you're going to tell him. So get real and get vulnerable with God. And as always, have a great Friday and God bless. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the I Am Persuaded podcast, please consider subscribing and share with your friends. We pray this is a blessing in your life. God bless.